Good afternoon to you, and thank you very much for our sponsor for showing support to you being here for another week. <laughs> thank you, Dave. You've got an interesting topic today. We're looking at food being our best medicine. Oh, but before that, Dave, I have to tell listeners that I spent a very good week this week uh, doing some planting on my property at North okay. Rockbury, yeah. and my good friends at Brankston Hardware, great little shop in Brankston, they supplied me all the appropriate gear to put in some lovely new trees. So I've had a great week, and I'm ready to do the program today talking about one of the most common herbs, ginger. Joining us now from Belmont, good afternoon, Sheridan. Oh, hi. Hello, Sheridan. Hello, Dennis. How can we help you? Uh, look, I've got a problem sleeping. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I don't have any trouble going to sleep, okay. but I do find after three or four hours... Very frequently I wake up and then I'm often awake for two hours or longer. Okay, look, I'll make a couple of little suggestions here because I've often experienced that uh, situation myself. Um, One of the herbs that I frequently use uh, to address this problem is the herb kava, K-A-V-A. Most listeners would know of kava in as much that it's used prolifically in the South Pacific by Fijians and other islanders, what we have done with the herb kava is examine it, look at its chemistry, see how it works, and have converted it into a Western convenient form of taking it, that is, usually in a tableted form. And kava, interestingly, when it's analysed, comes up with three potentials, depending upon the dosage you're using. It can be used as what's called an anti-anxiety agent, and very frequently I would prescribe that to people that present that are not really moving in the direction of major pharmaceuticals for that condition, but who are experiencing a little bit of anxiety. Carver frequently works brilliantly there, and I'm thinking of a young man from the Hunter Valley yesterday that I saw late in, uh, in the day in my rooms who's done well on Carver for that condition. The other thing also that it has a potential usage for is in addressing what we call the mild levels of depression that we all frequently experience that are not considered to warrant major antidepressional medication. Carver can help that and in and in an optimum dose, and, and by that I mean one to two tablets taken prior to going to bed. It's a very significant anti-insomnic remedy that does promote sleep, although it doesn't bomb you out, but it tends to keep you comfortable and relaxed and stops a lot of the mind games that happens sometimes when we're asleep that causes us to awake. So I will frequently use uh, a carver. In fact, I used one last night. I knew I was coming on the program with Dave, and he creates a lot of anxieties. Especially <laughs> between the ad breaks. Yeah. <laughs> so I took one last night. Try some carver. Um, right. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, it's legal. It's safe. And so long as you're not drinking huge amounts of alcohol, uh, there's very little problem with it. So try some of that before you do anything else. All right, I will do. Um, where would I get that from? Look, Carver, fortunately, is readily available from our good health food stores. Where, where do you live? Uh, Belmont North. Well, look, if you went to, um, say, Warners Bay or look out of your local health food store or pharmacy, they would uh, in, inevitably have uh, Carver tablets. All right, and we've got Karen joining us now from Rutherford. Hello, Karen. How are you, Dennis? I'm well indeed. How are you? Good, good. What I'm ringing for mm. is our 20-year-old son has yes. been diagnosed with, um, I think it's, you pronounce it, microlithesis, microlithesis of the testicles. 
Okay, microlithosis. I'm not familiar with that. Um, what, are, what are his symptoms? Well, they said he's got like a build-up of small stones. Okay, lith- lith- lithiasis is usually the term that's used to describe uh, stones, whether they be in the, in the kidney or elsewhere. Yeah. Um, uh, what's the medical management that's being offered to him? Well, they've just given him... They've got him on the waiting list for the specialist, yes. which they've put through ASAP, yeah. but yes. you've still got to wait. Yes, of course. And then he's on um, any inflammatories or... Yeah. And, um, Oh, what do you call them? Analgesics? Yeah, to sort of bring down the swelling. Yes, yes. But when you sort of do Google searches and stuff like that, they say there's really no treatment. Mm. But then the specialist, or not the specialist, the GP has said that that's linked to testicle cancer. Mm. So I sort of was hoping there might have been some miracle out there that can sort of move these stones and... Look, Bring them out. <laughs> uh, uh, look, I'll be honest with you, I, I know virtually nothing about it, and you'd be well advised, of course, to, to follow down the medical pathway. I'd be foolish not to. Yeah. Uh, what I would say is this, that um, there, there are a number of herbs that are used to address uh, kidney stones. Now, they're probably quite a significantly different uh, pathogenesis, um, but it might be worthwhile um, looking at that or discussing it with your GP, whether or not uh, the possibility of using some herbs that are used for renal calculi might okay. be useful here. I suspect not, uh, but I've thrown that in as a bit of a, an area to, to investigate. Yeah. Um, but um, I'll have a bit of a hunt round in some of my literature, but I come back to the point, this is one condition that I know very little about, I've never treated, and I'd hate to send you up the garden path. All right, and uh, we will follow up on that. Let us know some more details here. You could call through if you like. It is Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart, 49216216 at 2NURFM. 2NURFM, we have got with us today Dennis Stewart taking your calls here, and we have spoken in the past about carver. Now, Doug's with us from Waratah. Dennis, he'd like to talk to you about carver. Hello, Doug. Hi, Dennis. How are you? I'm well. Uh, number one, Dennis, I enjoy listening to your show. Thank um, you. I don't have, I'm not on much medication now, I've had a few operations, but I'm, I've battled my way through it, and um, I'm, I'm getting around pretty well. Well done. Um, uh, knee replacements and quadruple bypasses and things. Yep. Um, I've lived in um, New Guinea, I've yes. seen the effects of beetle nut up there. Yes, yes. At, <laughs> And um, I've uh, I've lived in Fiji, yes. and uh, I've had a, a, a quite a bit of experience with the carver. Yeah, have you really? Um, it was dished up to me once in the, in Fiji in a, in a grotty old wooden bowl yeah. <laughs> with hand mix. Put it that way. That's I felt, right. felt in, very very uneasy. <laughs> like a, like an old sock, and yeah, it was just wrung out in the wooden bowl. Absolutely. A couple of claps and bulla bulla, and down she goes. Fortunately. What we've done is, is taken the crude herb, rescued it from that way, and converted it into a modern pharmaceutical form. <laughs> well, well, this is one that you haven't tried. Um, I used to uh, have to get a lot of stuff out of bondage on, on the um, on the wharfs down there. Right. And uh, every now and then they'd, they'd be uh, uh, getting all the whiskies and, and stuff and putting it in bond in the store. Oh, OK. And down would go a crate of whiskey. OK. And um, it would go and... <laughs> One of the bottles would go into the bottle of car the first oh, thing of the morning and, when and, they started. And that's the thing that's worried a lot of regulatory authorities, the way yeah. in which uh, the, the pure use of carver uh, <laughs> might be, um, uh, how can you call it, 
prostituted, bastardised, call it what you like, by being mixed with other real problem substances. So there is a bit of a worry about that. Yeah, but, well, that, um, was, that, that was done in a few instances in different places. Yeah, yeah, I've seen, yeah. I've seen it done around in the, uh, in yeah, the church areas yeah. too. Oh, well, that, that, that's a real worry, but I can, I can assure you the way we've got it in a pharmaceutical form as a tablet, it's most <laughs> unlikely to be uh, used in that illegitimate way. <laughs> Well, it gave me many happy hours. With oh, me. did it really? Have to, okay. have to go out in the outer island yep, and do yep. the work and stuff, you know. And uh, yeah. I'd be sitting up to four o'clock in the morning with them, you know. You always yeah, around, and, yeah, and yeah. but down on the wharf, they yeah. were happy all, yeah. because about half an hour after they've uh, got through their first bowl of carver, everybody's singing their heads off. They <laughs> think, oh, they're happy. Oh, they're, they're happy when they? you see them running around, see with a big smile on their face, they're all probably half <laughs> half whack with carver, laced with whiskey. Well, I can assure you, carver on its own. Is, is good enough. <laughs> All right, and we've got uh, Dennis. Uh, Cheryl's joining us from Stockton. Hello, Cheryl. Hello, darling. Oh, that's um, nice. That's nice. You can say oh, that again, thank Cheryl. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I have a damaged liver and I have pancreatitis. Oh, dear. Um, what's going I've lost a lot of weight. Can you tell me what's happening to me? Well, I really don't know you well enough to say what's happening to you, but sometimes when the, the liver and the pancreas has been severely diver- diseased, weight loss um, can be a side effect of that. You've obviously discussed it with your do- doctor, have you, Cheryl? No, no, no. You should. You should. You should have a meeting with your GP and say, hey, listen, I'm losing a lot of weight. Uh, what's happening to me? Is it associated with my history of liver and pancreatic disease. I suspect there's a connection. See your doctor, okay? And what happens with pancreatitis, doctor? uh, Dennis will do. Uh, Pancreatitis is a very, very serious and painful disease, um, and uh, it can be very, very nasty, and I hope you haven't had too many episodes of those, have you? No, I haven't. Well, you don't want me either, but um, you need to be cautious because uh, severe alcohol ingestion can cause pancreatitis, but not always. Pancreatitis can occur of its own at times. Um, But again, if there is a history of it, or if you're concerned about it, if your liver function tests aren't good, your pancreas is not working well, the best advice I can give you is you keep in contact with your doctor and make sure you're being monitored, okay? Go and talk to your doctor, Pam. Good luck with that. Hey, we've spoken about turmeric in the past. Let's have a chat about it now. Pam joins us from Mark's Point. Hello, Pam. Hi, uh, Dennis. I just want to know about turmeric. Yes. Um, is it good or is it being hyped up? Um, is it good for arthritis, okay. aches and pains? Okay. Look, the unfortunate thing about many popular medicines is that uh, they can be pushed to the point of absurdity. And I think, to be fair, uh, even though I'm a great exponent, as you probably know, of the use of spices and herbs and particularly turmeric, uh, it's not a yep. cure-all. It's not a cure-all. But let me say this that the science behind the chemistry of turmeric has allowed us to say that one of its active principles, which is called curcumin, is a a useful agent. I'll say useful. A useful agent for the milder forms of inflammatory disease. So something like, say, mild rheumatoid arthritis might get some benefit from curcumin. People with, say, mild osteoarthritis who might be also using glucosamine and other medication by pending uh, turmeric, particularly the curcumin content of it, to their management, may find a useful benefit. So is it hyped up? I believe it is. 
but are the claims made for it justifiable? Yes, so long as those claims are not pushed to the point of seeing it as a cure-all. Okay. Uh, now, what do I look for when I buy? Okay. Look, fortunately, uh, these days, the Therapeutic Goods Administration in this country uh, pretty well makes it that products that are in the marketplace have to comply with claims and dosage. So most products in the marketplace would comply with TGA and therefore most products would be dosed correctly. But what I would be looking for is a product that talks about having a standardised or guaranteed level of curcumin. So if you're looking, say, at a preparation of turmeric from which curcumin is extracted, you would want to see on the label, well, I would recommend that you look for something on the label which says turmeric containing X amount of curcumin, and then that should be related to the dosage on the container. Okay. Is there any dosage that I should be looking for? No, because the dosage would be related to to the content of the capsule or the tablet that you're taking, but the dosage on the label would coincide with the strength of the preparation, so be governed by that. I come back to the point that the good thing about natural health products, indeed all uh, health products in Australia, is that for the last 20 or so years, might be a bit more, a bit less, we have had what's called in this country the Therapeutic Goods Administration, which uh, is miles in front, I would suggest, of anything that's in the US, where you can make claims as far as I can see, that can't really at times be justified. You can't do that legally here in Australia. So the good thing about any product in the health food store or even the pharmacy, even though it's a natural medication, it's made to the TGA standard and it is dose-related and must contain a specific amount of activity. Okay, so if they say take two tablets a day, then... If it's on the label, if it's on the label, uh, you can be confident that that is a dosage related to activity. Where, where do you live? Mark's Point. Okay. Look, pop into Warners Bay and talk to the Vitology people or Westfield and talk to the Vitology people. Um, they're, they're people that I know many of them have studied with me. They would be able to reiterate what I have said and make sure that you are given a product that you understand. All right. You are listening to Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart. If you've been thinking, I'd like to give him a call and talk, you'll get through straight away if you dial now, 49216216 at 2 in URFM. Yeah, Dennis, we're making our way to Karua now. Chris is waiting patiently there. G'day, Chris. Hey, Jeff. How are you going? How are you, Chris? Yeah, good, thank you. Well, not too bad. Dennis, I have a condition called trigeminal neuralgia. I know it very well. It's a very, very painful facial condition, isn't it? Extremely painful. Yes. How long have you been battling it? 20 years. 20 years. It's not an easy condition to treat. Um, Have you tried acupuncture? I've not, no. I treated a lady... Uh, a dear friend of mine, she's passed away now. She used to we go to the same church that I went to on the Central Coast. And yeah. I was able to keep her facial uh, neuralgia or trigeminal neuralgia, both terms are used synonymously. I was able to keep that relatively sedate by giving her uh, episodes of uh, facial acupuncture. There is an acupuncture treatment that most professional acupuncturists would know about, specific acupuncture points, that has a sedatory effect. On the, tri- on the trigeminal nerve. So I would be suggesting that you, first of all, before you do anything else, is, uh, seek out in the area where you are 
ideally a, a, a doctor, a medical practitioner, who also practices acupuncture, and see how that goes. Oh, very good. Okay, I'll try that. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds good. Okay. There, okay. I might just also say um, there is only one herb that I am aware of that is indicated for trigeminal neuralgia, and that is a herb that only a pharmacist can supply because if it is used incorrectly, it can be quite toxic. And that herb is called gelsemium, G-E-L-S-E-M-I-U-M, and tincture gelsemium, which is an old a way of prescribing the herb, but it's prescribed in accordance to the British Pharmaceutical Codex, tincture of gelsemium, and only the tincture preparation of it, when prescribed in the correct dosage, is specifically called up in the 1983 edition of the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia for that condition. Now, it's not an easy preparation to get hold of, and it should never, ever be used outside of medical and pharmaceutical management, but uh, I did supply a pharmacy colleague of mine that preparation here in Newcastle years ago who was able to help people with that condition. Um, if you're interested uh, in knowing the, 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 the pharmacy, ring my rooms on 49562321. I'll pass on the name of the pharmacy uh, that may still stock the preparation, but if you were to use it, let me emphasise, it should only be used under a, phar under a pharmacist or a medical practitioner's direction. Otherwise, it can be very problematical. Try the acupuncture first. Okay, we'll do. Yeah, I've got your telephone number there, and yeah. I'll ring you for that. Okay. Good on you, Chris. Thank you so much for giving us a call today. 49216216 is the number here at 2NURFM. Food is your best medicine. We have spoken in the past about turmeric, even touched on it today. Sure. What about ginger? Let's talk a little bit about yeah. that. I'd love to do that because one of the things that I've set my goals uh, around is trying to look at natural substances, ideally foods and spices, that can have significant benefits on inflammatory disease. And even if it only means, Dave, using these things to work with what's been prescribed so that the prescription medication works better at a lower dose by using some of these things that we've mentioned on this program, things like, for instance, turmeric or curcumin, if it is appended to, say, mainstream medication, may be able to give an improved benefit and even see a reduction in the mainstream dosage. Now, it comes also into the ballpark ginger. Ginger is not appreciated as much as what it is in Asia, and there's some significant information to suggest that using ginger ongoingly as a food, now this is the point that I emphasise, using ginger ongoingly as a food, ideally using turmeric ongoingly as a food, when used as a food on a regular basis, ginger has been shown to be significant in managing the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis. Now, when we say managing, we're talking about lowering the level of, of the intensity of the pain and the inflammation. We talk about fish oils recently in the media. My comments about fish oils have been justified in as much that they've been seen to be useful also when taken regularly over an extended period of time in reducing inflammatory joint disease. The same with ginger. And there's a paper here, and I'll mention it quickly, 28 patients with rheumatoid arthritis who had been taking powdered ginger for periods ranging from three months to two years were evaluated. Based on clinical observations... 75% of these patients experienced relief in pain or swelling. 
the recommended dose that they were working with was 500 to 1,000 milligrams per day. That's a very, very small amount. Many patients took more than this. When they took that, over that period of time, significant relief from pain was experienced. Ginger, in a clinical trial, taken by patients in dosages between 5 to 1,000 milligrams per day, if you want to talk in capsule terms, one to two capsules per day, or a teaspoonful of, of ginger once or twice a day, when they used ginger in that powdered, simple, inexpensive food form and took it regularly, let me emphasise, regularly, for up to three months or in some cases for two years, subsequent to evaluation, 75% of them experience relief of pain or swelling. Now, what am I saying? I'm not saying, is ginger the answer to rheumatoid arthritis? No. Is ginger a possibility for helping reduce some of the symptoms, the inflammatory activity, the discomfort associated with this condition? Possibly. Ginger's cheap. It's a food. Australians don't use enough spice in their diet. You and I have spoken about this. So my suggestion is for rheumatoid arthritis sufferers out there, go to your health food store, supermarket, get a packet of ginger, and if you can tolerate it, and ginger's not unpleasant, say half a teaspoonful to a teaspoonful daily, but you have to persevere. And what about for those ladies or men who have bloating issues? Ah, well, here again, here again. We could talk about ginger's properties all day. One of the most common things that happens in practice are people that present with the symptom of bloating. Frequently that's associated with a lot of flatulence or wind. Ginger is specific for that, as many, as many spices are. But ginger in particular is called up in the literature that I brought with me this morning, and I've known about this for a long time, but have lectured on it. It's one of the most useful devices for helping those people that are plagued by bloating and wind, taking it regularly across the day as a capsule, a tea, or in our food. It can be little less than miraculous and save us taking a lot of costly medication or a lot of costly natural medications as well. So it works beautifully for that. Taken as a food in the context of our diet, it can lessen a lot of those gut symptoms of wind and bloating. Two in your RFM, it's a quarter to one. Now, Dennis, we've got to mention here Ursula. She left this for us from uh, Wall's End. She rang to thank you for the curcumin recommendation as she's osteoporosis and osteoarthritis. Now, Ursula says daily she takes one magnesium tab, one curcumin tab and one cod liver oil and is no longer in any pain and not needing any other medication or painkillers. Well, isn't that lovely? Great news there. And that was very nice of that lady to uh, let us know about that. That makes this program very worthwhile and it also... Uh, confirms to the sceptics out there that a lot of what I recommend and a lot of the things that we discuss, Dave, actually do work. They're inexpensive, and listeners taking the information, using it, vouch for the benefit of some of these simple things. Thank you for letting us know about that. That's great. I'm really very happy, very happy. Now, we're continuing to talk about food being your best medicine. Now, as we try and drift back into food Mm -hmm. again, do you think we've become too dependent on medication? Absolutely. I think that uh, what has happened uh, to us in, in Western healthcare is that we've lost sight of what the Greeks appreciated years ago. It was one of the great Greek philosophers 
who said food is your best medicine. Uh, food was seen as something not just to be uh, eaten for the fun of it or to satisfy an appetite, but food was eaten with the view of achieving uh, medicinal benefits. Now, we've lost that in the West, and we've, in my opinion, in many ways debauched uh, eating to the point where it's just eaten, we just eat for pleasure without any real understanding of the ramifications frequently of what we eat. And we've lost sight, in my opinion, of the way in which the addition of certain foods, and particularly spices, to our diet can have profound health-giving ramifications. Dave, years ago at university and subsequently in my own private studies, I studied the system of medicine known as Ayurveda. Ayurveda is a remarkable system of medicine. It goes back 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. It's associated with the most ancient writings in the world, that is the Vedas, and Ayurveda is one of the Vedas. And it has been taught and practiced and preached consistently in India and parts of Pakistan ever since that. And in India today, there are state-funded and state-recognized and registered colleges that teach Ayurvedic medicine. Taught me a lot. One of the things it emphasizes is that in treating a disease, food needs to be considered as an agent to bring into the management. It is still the classic and residual system of medicine that maintains the integrity of the, of the concept of food being seen as a healing agent rather than just something uh, to munch on and eat as we walk along the street. I recommend to listeners get hold of a basic little book on Ayurveda. It is now uh, very popularly understood in the West, and I've had the, the great privilege of running a one-semester postgraduate program on Ayurveda for many, many years, and I never cease learning from it. Uh, for instance, we spoke about ginger. Mm. If you read Ayurveda, and if you look at the way in which uh, ginger is used in South Asia, ginger is one of those remarkable herbs that is what's called bronchomucolytic. What it does is help clear the lung. A lot of our respiratory conditions are associated with stagnant mucus that congests that causes inflammation and causes us to use numerous medications, steroids, etc. Ginger has the remarkable benefit, as do other similar herbs, of loosening a lot of that mucus and causing it to be more easily expectorated. It has a cleansing effect on the lung. Hence, most herbalists that know their stuff would include a degree of ginger in any medication addressing the lung because of the way in which it helps promote the resolution of mucus bronchomucotropic, bronchomucolytic, and there was a chap called Zement, Z-I-M-E-N-T. He worked for the World, World Health Organization, and he travelled around Asia and said that the relatively lower level of bronchial disease in, in Asia and Southeast Asia had a lot to do with the way in which these countries used spices, particularly ginger. Mm -hmm. So ginger for people out there that have congested respiratory systems, that are coughing a lot, uh, incorporate it into your diet, begin to use it, I'd be surprised if it didn't give a benefit. Great tip there. Now we've got listening along to you, Paula, Dennis. Hello, Paula. Hi, Dennis. How can we help you? Um, well, I've been to you a few times in Elma Road. Good. Um, I'm, well, I'm not sick or anything. Um, I'm not on any medication, Good. but I did um, hear about um, this um, supposed superfood maca. Uh huh. 
Um, and I just wanted to get your opinion, Tony, or on the radio today. Sure. Look, um, I'm always a little bit cautious um, mm-hmm. uh, with terms like superfoods or super herbs or super medications. Uh, an earlier lister uh, very nicely asked a question Did I think there was a lot of hype being written or taken up, particularly about mm. herb like turmeric. I would reiterate uh, to you what I said to her. I believe that a lot of these things are in danger of being hyped up and pushed to the mm-hmm. point where you know, we do an injustice to them. Having mm-hmm. said that, having said that, maca is, is a safe remedy. It's mm-hmm. used essentially as a food. And one area where it does seem to have some benefit is in addressing uh, problems of a hormonal nature. Mm-hmm. Now, I won't elaborate on that, but it has been mm-hmm. used even by some cultures in promoting fertility mm-hmm. and in promoting virility. Mm-hmm. So it is popularly put forward in some cultures as one of those remedies that um, is useful to promote what we would loosely refer to as vitality. Now, I know mm-hmm. that's a, a term to be used in inverted commas, but in China, for instance, ginseng would be a remedy seen in the similar light, and it is put forward as a, as a herb of great proven benefit in promoting vitality. And if you use that term vitality, which is not used in medicine today except our system of medicine, it implies the maintenance of all the vital powers of the body. I would tend to put maca in that category, but I would see it no better or no worse than many other products that purport to do the same. Good on you, Paula. Thank you so much for your call. And to all our callers today, thank you for being part of the program. Time has beaten us again. No, good thank program, you so much. Dave. Yeah. Good program. We'll look forward to having you back from midday next next week also. Thank you, Dave. There you go. Dennis Stewart with us. It's Health Naturally here at 2 and you are